it won't be too long this morning. Now, as we said, we're going to have a baptismal service on the 16th of July, yeah? And with an eye on that, the next three weeks we're going to base ourselves around the account of Jesus' baptism. And today, because it's Father's Day, we're going to start by looking at the Father's attitude towards the Son. Is that okay? Yeah. Now, if you know me, well, you know that I've got a bit of a naughty sense of humour. And on Father's Day, we tend to give out gifts to dads, don't we? Yeah? Yeah? If you've been at Junction 10, don't act surprised, Kev. You, you live for your Yorkie bar at the end of the service on Father's Day. We do. Now, I was going to be a bit naughty and give them out at the start of the service. Ooh. Just to encourage you that, you know, if you can be here for 11, please do. Please do. That was gonna that was gonna be see who went out eating a bar of chocolate at the end or not. But then I thought, no, actually what we'll do, we'll give them out at the start and then we'll give them out at the end so some people can go and we too, but we didn't do that either. So but just a little word of encouragement if I can. So turn with me to Matthew three. If you haven't got your Bibles with you, it's gonna appear on the screen behind me. John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And in a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you're probably familiar with that account of the baptism of Jesus. At the start of the passage we read, that we just read, we see that John the Baptist had, had come with a message for people, calling them for repentance, and John offered people a way in which they could receive forgiveness through baptism. And John, he spoke this message, he lived the message as well, not only his words, with his actions, he stood out from the crowd, didn't he, John, with his 
clothes made of camel's hair and his leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Any dads want that for their lunch today? When they go home, we'll go out. The message that John brought with him was one that proclaimed, and that he proclaimed as he travelled. It was one that struck at the heart of people's lives. He was confronting people with a choice. He's confronting them with the decision that they knew they had to make because they knew that they'd slipped away from God. You know, it had been about 400 years between the ending of Malachi's writing at the end of the Old Testament and now the events at the New Testament. 400 years with very little happening in terms of God appearing and speaking to people. The people knew that they needed to change. So John was kind of just prompting them and just getting them to realize what they already knew. Turn around, repent, start again. And you know what? We read people were coming from all over and that's what people were doing. They were being baptized, they were repenting and being baptized. But then Jesus turned up. Jesus turned up and it got a bit messy. As is the way. But have you thought about it though? If people were being baptized for repentance, why did Jesus, who was sinless, yeah, Oh, we're not sure. Yeah? Sinless? Yeah? Why is he asked to be baptized? He doesn't need to be baptized in terms of forgiveness. He hasn't sinned and so he doesn't need to repent. He doesn't need that. So why does Jesus have to be baptized? Well, the plan is that we'll pick that theme up next week as we look at the son's attitude towards the father. See, I've hooked you in there. You've got to come next week, haven't you, to, to get that. But have you ever been in a situation where you felt inadequate? Where you felt not up to the task? I can't go and talk to that person. I can't go and share my faith with my colleague. I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not right. I do wrong things. I can't do that. I'm not perfect. God, you've got to do something. You've got to make me better before I do. And you know what? That's probably how John was feeling in this. He didn't feel adequate, did he? He said... I'm not fit to, to do this man's shoes up, and yet he's coming to me to be baptized. He tried to deter Jesus, didn't he? He tried to say, no, you baptize me, that's the way it should be, not, not me baptizing you. But Jesus said, no, you ought to baptize me. And it's true, we can all feel inadequate at times, even the most confident person, I'm sure, in the wrong place, wrong situation for them, feels inadequate. You know, it may be that you've been asked to step out and do something for God. Even sometimes when you're just praying, you just get that sense of inadequacy when you think about how great, how powerful, how awesome God is. It can feel a bit overwhelming sometimes, can't it? Maybe it's just me then. But you know what? God smiles at us when we feel like that and says, No, I need you. I've placed you in that job, in that position. I've put you with those people. Because you are going to be my witness to them. And you know what? I'm going to be with you. I'll be in the middle of all of it with you. Now get on, go and do it. You know, we've heard testimony over the last couple of weeks, haven't we, from people who've been out as part of the turning. We've heard, Joe Booker, we can't get her off the front now. She did last week, this week. She, she's up all the time now. You'll be preaching in three weeks' time. <laughs> Why not? People say, you know what, I never thought I'd be able to go up to a stranger and talk to them about my faith. But they tried it and people listened because God puts us in the right place at the right time to talk to people. 
Maybe you're feeling that way about what you've heard Joe say this morning. Oh, you know, these are, these are needy people. These people have got problems. I don't feel I can do that. You can. You can drive them if you've got a car. That's it. Say hello. How's your day going? Just help out where you can. Go and visit them like Tracy's been doing. We're adequate. Yeah, you can do it. We all can do it. You know what? If you're in a position to do something about a need, there's nobody better to meet it than you. So even before we really get to look at God's attitude towards his son, there's a message for us all to grasp. God, the creator of all things, says, I need you. I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, and I need you. He needs all of us. You're not inadequate. Stop waiting till you feel ready. I need you now. You have everything that you'll ever need in me. Now. Okay? So before we get into the main bit, have that bit for starters. So let's look, though, at God's attitude towards his son. Well, first and foremost, Jesus' baptism was an opportunity for God to identify that Jesus was indeed his son. It was a revelation by the Father to all people of who Jesus really was. Through the baptism, Father God could proclaim loud and clear that this is my son. This is my son, the son of God, the Messiah, the long-promised one. He's here, he's standing before you, the person that the prophets were talking about years ago, hundreds of years ago. This is the one, this is my son who will fulfill all the hopes and dreams of the people. It was very public, it was very obvious. It was very personal to Jesus as well. But God, through the Jesus baptism, announces, this is my son, he is here. You know, sometimes that, some I've seen refer it to as a declaration that God's outlining his ownership of Jesus. And that word can maybe feel a bit uncomfortable and maybe have negative tones. But if we take it, if you own something, then you can take pride in it. And you can love it. So it may be a bit of a strange concept that. But this is my son. My son. And that's what he says as Jesus comes out of the water. He screams out of his love. This is my son. Now, you may find this hard to believe. Jack's already been out this morning. He's not always the smiling, pleasant child that you know from church. I'm sorry to disappoint you. He is known to have a tantrum now and again. Aren't you, son? Yeah, I still love him. I still love him, don't worry, don't worry. But he's known to have a tantrum now and again. And when he was a bit younger, he would inform me at increased volume, I'm not your friend! To which I replied, you don't have to be my friend, but you're my son and you can't change that. <laughs> I, I, I didn't gather ha-ha, but... So he soon got wise to that and started responding, you're not even my parents! <laughs> He's past it now. But at one of the biggest moments in Jesus' life to date, as he's about to launch into, the new, into his new ministry, his father turned up and he was there. So today, Father's Day, a message for us dads. 
be there for your kids. Yeah, mums too, be there for your kids. We all know that from time to time, life means that you're going to miss an assembly or a sports day. But wherever you can, put yourself out to be there for the, for the small events, let alone the big events in your child's life. It's important. Dads, show up. Now, I need to be mindful that not everyone has a dad involved with their life. There may be a number of reasons for that, because some dads make silly decisions, some dads did more harm than good when they were around, and others, dads are no longer with us, sadly. And it may be that mums, grandparents, and friends are fulfilling the role of the dad instead. And we recognise the huge effort that that takes and that they're making. And you know what? If you're in that situation, we thank God for you. Yeah, it's not, we appreciate it's not easy if you're in a family where the dad's not there. If you're in a situation where your dad's not around, but other people are stepping in and doing what we would say are maybe dad tasks, thank God for those people who are there who are trying to champion you. It's just important that we recognise that at this stage because the whole issue about dads and the father relationship can be difficult for some people. So the first principle is that God was there. He turned up for his son. He was proud. The second one, God showed love. At the baptism, Father God proudly proclaims over his son, this is my son whom I love. So dads, don't just show up, but show love as well. Yeah? Men, we all come in different shapes and sizes. Some are more in touch with their emotional side. Others are a bit more closed in, yeah? But show love. There's different ways to show love, isn't there? There's a, is it Dr. Gary Chapman wrote about uh, languages of love, five different languages of love, physical touch, acts of service, gifts, words of affirmation, and quality time. Jack, if you're sitting on a two-seater sofa, and bearing in mind I'm, I'm a bigger bloke, but if there's two of us on a two-seater sofa, he'll sneak into that bit. Jack's love language is physical contact. And in this weather, it's a real blessing. <laughs> With Eva, it's quality time. She loves for everybody to be together. She loves for all the family to be together. And you know what? I think we can actually see the importance of God's confirmation that this is my son, whom I love, in Jesus' life. Turn quickly, if you've got your Bibles, to Mark 8. Again, it's going to come up on the screen. But as you pick up the story in Mark 8, by this time, since being baptised, Jesus has done a number of miracles. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He's walked on water. He's raised someone from the dead. And he's taught thousands of people. And yet if we pick it up in verse 17 of Mark 8, I think we can see some frustration from Jesus. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, 
do you still not understand? Do you get the sense that Jesus is frustrated? Yeah? If you go down then to verse 27 in, in Mark 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. If you go to that same account in Matthew 16, verse 16, he actually says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, despite all his teachings, all his miracles, it's evident that people were not making that connection that Jesus was the Son of God. And I think it was getting a bit of a frustrating thing for Jesus. Now imagine, has anybody else been in that position where you know something, you know you're right, but it's not going through to other people? Yeah? Put your hand down, Jack. Yeah? And the more it goes on, and the more that you know you're right, but you can't convince people, do you start to question yourself? Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe. I, if Jesus was fully human, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to think that maybe he could have felt that like that as well. That the more he tried to do to convince people, if people weren't getting it, you know, did he have that struggle? Imagine if you were Jesus in that situation without the Father having declared, this is my son whom I love and all the certainty and assurance that provided. See, people didn't, weren't getting who Jesus was but he was working in the knowledge. He had it publicly declared by his father that he was his son and he was loved. There's an old hymn. It's written 150 years ago, over 150 years ago, called, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Now I'm guessing not too many people know it this morning, and I'm guessing certainly that not too many people will know all nine verses. We're going to close with it in a minute? No, we're not. We're not. But if you do know it, I'm guessing you know the refrain, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. I'll put you through to the next round. The Britain's got talent with that. Well done, everybody. Because he first loved us. See, Jesus knew before he'd done anything in ministry, he was loved. And that same message applies to us this morning. We are loved. Before we could do anything, before we could even think about doing something, we were loved. Before we took our first breath, we were loved. In the book of Jeremiah, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. We were known and loved and given purpose before we were born. Yeah? Yeah? That's the attitude that the father had to the son then. And that's the attitude that the father has to us now. You know, it may be that throughout life we lose that message. That we think that love has to be earned by purchasing the right gift or doing the right thing 
cooking the right meal. And you know, as humans, maybe we do that look for that, but know that your Heavenly Father from the beginning loved you. He loved us right from the very start. We weren't perfect then, we're not perfect now, but he loved us from the start. As we read, Jesus came out of the waters. A voice said, this is my son, whom I love, and I am well pleased. Jesus said, God said it to Jesus then. God's saying it over you now. This is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus went into ministry, God was pleased. Before he went into the wilderness to be tested, God was pleased. Before he healed anybody, God was pleased. Before he cast out any demons, God was pleased. God was pleased with Jesus. God is pleased with you today. He's pleased with you. He loves you. He needs you to realize that, to get on and to do. Thank you for listening this morning. We're going to take our... No, we, I'll do that again. I, I'll, I'll get out of the habit of thinking it's the last time we'll do the offering. We've already done the offering. We're not